Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Bible and Me podcast. In this episode, Nigel Watts talks to Brian Dirksen, the renowned Christian songwriter, about his encounter with God as a teenager, the struggles he's had in his life, and the spreading of God's word through music. Sit back and relax and be encouraged. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individual speaking and may not represent the views of Preset Ministries UK. We hope and pray that this podcast will bless you in your walk of faith. If it does, leave us a rating or review and subscribe for more podcasts every Friday. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, welcome to the Preset Ministries UK Bible and Me podcast. And I am absolutely thrilled to welcome Brian Dirksen to the podcast today. Brian's songs are known and sung in churches around the world, uh, for which he has received numerous prestigious awards. Uh, Songs like Come, Now is the Time to Worship, Faithful One, Refiner's Fire, Hallelujah, Your Love is Amazing, and many, many more have blessed countless around the world. Uh, Brian uh, currently splits his time between his hometown in Abbotsville, uh, BC in Canada, and uh, Three Hills in Alberta, where he's leading a new music and arts program at Prairie Bible College. Uh, Brian's most recent creative project is co-writing inspirational folk rock settings to other psalms uh, in a new band called the Sheer Poets, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that in just a second. Uh, Brian and his wife, uh, Joyce, um, have been married for 30 years, Uh, My wife and I are coming up to 30 years as well, very soon. And they have six children, four daughters and two sons. So, Brian, welcome to this podcast. It's an absolutely delight to be able to talk with you. Great to be here. Um, So, I'm just going to ask a a simple question. Um, How did you become a follower of Jesus? Well, I'm I'm still becoming one. (laughs) Um, I grew up in a a family of faith. so my parents were both followers of Jesus, and I, it's almost like from my earliest recollections of my life, um, I wanted to follow Jesus. Um, I, I went through a period in my early teens where I was quite, um, let's just say I was straining at the edges <laughs> and um like a lot of teenagers now. yeah like a lot of teenagers and i gave my parents some real grief um and then uh when i was about 16 um i had a, a, a profound spiritual awakening i was in my bedroom and it's the home that we live, still live in. We raised our family. I was raised there since I was four years old. We've raised our family there. Um, and now it's uh, my son's bedroom. But anyway, in the upstairs bedroom of this 1930s little farmhouse in, in Abbotsford, British Columbia, right on the west coast of Canada, I, I was, it was, it was in the evening and, and, um, this presence, came into the room and um, I felt like almost like electrical current flowing through my body and I knew it was the presence of God, the Holy Spirit and it was a will you give me your whole life 
you know, and it's interesting, you know, when I was 16, I already had a, a plan mapped out for my life, and it included, you know, making lots of money and, and driving a nice sports car and having a, a beautiful woman on my arm and blah, 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 you know, <laughs> funny how these things, you know, when you're a teenager, you go, oh, I'm going to envision this, and it was like God just entered the room and, and said, lay whatever you're dreaming of down and follow me. And uh, the adventure has been interesting. <laughs> that is incredible. Wow. I, you, you just mentioned that, like you felt electricity going through your body. I, I just need to say this. Um, in New Wine, New Wine, I think it was in 2005, six, um, a very similar thing happened um, when they opened up the whole of that week's um, that new one week with your song "Come Now Is the Time to Worship," hmm. they they opened the that the first evening with that song, and I remember being up in the up in the sort of gods, as it were, in the in the cattle shed at the time, and they opened uh, with that song, and I personally I felt like an electric shock go through my body just as they started that worship song. So hmm. it's interesting you said that, hmm. and that was a very very um, important time personally. Anyway, so, so at 16 you had this profound experience. Um, what happened after that? Well, um, following God isn't a straight line. Let's uh, tell me, that, you know, that, that's for sure. Um, so um, I, was, I was into athletics. I was, I was a basketball player and I, I loved sports. And it was, it was within days of that encounter, I felt all my desire to excel at sports start to dissipate, and this desire to worship God and to pick up a guitar, and I, you know, so I, it literally, there was this, this shift, and I was an all-star basketball player in my high school, and I went to my coach, and I said, I think I'm done, and they looked at me like, you're insane, <laughs> And it's so funny now when I think back in, in, the, in this high school athletics world, the basketball team was like the pinnacle of our little culture of several hundred people. And to get on this, the men, the, the boys basketball, senior basketball team was like the thing. Right? Yeah, and within, within, you know, six months or so, I was playing music. I formed a little band, and I, and I, but I spent hour after hour after hour, hundreds and hundreds of hours in my bedroom, worshiping God, playing the guitar, reading scripture, um, just this voracious hunger to, to know God and to then sing about what I was experiencing. And, um, yeah, and I've been, in a sense, on, on a pathway of kind of like that ever since. Mm -hmm. So are you saying up until that point of 16, you, you weren't musical or you didn't... You, you... I, I, I knew the basics of music. Okay. I grew up, my dad was in a, was in a gospel quartet and, and I'd learned the basics of piano, but I was too impatient to really, really become a piano player. And, the, and the, my piano teacher when I was a kid was very classical and I was very drawn to modern music and it, they just weren't working. <laughs> but so so... I had I had dabbled with the acoustic guitar a few years earlier. I'd taken a guitar class and learned the basic chords, and then just kind of forgot about it and got on with my basketball and my you know my other stuff. And then it was like, oh, I was just drawn to pick up this 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 guitar that was sitting in my closet and and to try and express what I was 
hearing, sensing, reading in scripture. I just have to try and... So I started trying to write songs even back then, even when I was 16, 17. Yeah, wonderful. Now, you, you married Joyce um, when you were 19. Yes. Uh, in 1984, and then you went to serve with uh, YWAM. Mm-hmm. Um, so where did you serve with YWAM, and, and, and why was that? Well, we really, you know, God really put a heart in in us for the nations, and uh, YWAM is a youth organization that that just kind of grabs hold of some of that youthful zeal and just sends them out to the nations. And you know, there's parts of me now that look at some of that and go, "Oh, we're so you know so naive, and so we're gonna you know change the nations." These young people showing up and you know doing a little drama on a street corner or something. But, but I, 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 I genuinely had a heart for people in other co- countries, other languages. And it just became a time where we, and, and, and we were a newly married couple, so it was wonderful for the first year of our life. We were in YWAM, married life, we were in YWAM together. And so we kind of grew up together, so to speak. And our bond now almost 33 years into our marriage is stronger than ever. And I think we built a good foundation of serving God together as a young married couple. And then, you know, eventually we came back and had different jobs and stuff, but it built a foundation both for our marriage and for our heart for people from other cultures. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. My dad, my dad said that uh, marriages thrive on shared experience Mm. And um, so clearly you were sharing that experience together. Absolutely. Um, yeah, wonderful. Now, in the 1980s and 1990s, you led worship at Langley Vineyard Christian Fellowship, uh, during which time you wrote what were to become very, very well-known songs. Um, how would you describe your time um, at, at um, Langley Vineyard and what God was doing in and through you and your songwriting? Mm. Well... Definitely, I would describe it as a season of first love, you know, like a deep passion for Jesus, a deep passion for his word, and then expressing it. And songs like Purify My Heart, Refiner's Fire, coming out of that season where, and that was a, a profound day when that song, the seed for that song came. I had gone home. This is, I've had... I've had the kind of electrical current experience about three times in my life. The first when I kind of really surrendered at 16. The second was the day I wrote Refiner's Fire. And we had our new, our baby daughter, Rachel, our first daughter. And and I was on staff at the church. I went home for lunch, went to see my wife. Of course, I went to see my baby daughter. I couldn't go a whole day at work without seeing her. So I came, we were lived only five minutes from the office, so went home for lunch. Loved on her, uh, ate lunch. Back to the office I went, and I was pulling up at a traffic light just before I got back to the church. And as I waited there at the traffic light, all of a sudden I was visited by God's Spirit at a very unusual place, and I felt this electrical current coursing through my body. And then it was like I heard, almost like in an audible voice, purify my heart. And I would be like, oh yes, that's what I want, Lord. I want a pure heart so I can see you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Purify my heart, let me be as gold. And then it was gone. 
And it would start again. Pure as fire, let me be as gold. Yes, make me pure like gold. You know, and I'm having this encounter, and I'm weeping, and there's an electrical current. You know, and I'm at the traffic light, and all of a sudden the traffic light turns green, and I have to drive. You know, you know, and I just drive back to the office, and I tell my, the secretary at the church, I'm not available. I grab my guitar. This is back in the day when you had to have these massive physical concordances. I grab my my NIV concordance and my, my Bible and I went off to a corner in the church where nobody would find me and my guitar and I wrote the song that afternoon and um, it's crazy some of the stories I've heard you know from the underground church in China to all these different places in the world singing the song and for me it was just this personal response this is what I I want I want to know God. I want to be pleasing to Him. And um, yeah, so there was that season of, of 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 these songs coming, and then we decided, let's make a little cassette tape of these songs for the members of our church, so that during the week they can, you know, hear them, sing along to them, and it's not just a Sunday experience for them. So we planned on October the 1st, 1989, to do, and we planned an evening of worship, and we let our church know, we're going to have an evening, we're going to actually record some of the songs we've been writing and singing in our fellowship. And this is, this is, you know, there is now a strong contemporary Christian music kind of thing happening, but there was no real modern worship thing going on yet, and there was no industry of it, and there was no... So I thought, we'll make this recording and we'll sell 300 copies of our cassette to try and pay back a few thousand dollars that we're spending with hiring some technicians and hiring in some recording gear. You know, and the thing just took off. I think we sold 70,000 copies and with no record label, no marketing plan. And it was just... People resonated with these songs. I lift my eyes up, faithful one, purify my heart. And, um, and others. So, yeah, that, that was in 1989, 1990, kind of that, that whole time. And that's when, and that's how I connected with the vineyard and John Wimber at large, because we were a little vineyard church in Canada. And Wimber and the vineyard guys in California heard our little cassette and said, oh, Oh, there's something special here. Why don't you come down to California and meet with us? And why don't you come do music at a conference? And then, then after that, shortly after that, I got an invitation from Germany. Why don't you come to Germany and you know lead music at this conference? And what you know? So, what I thought was a little cassette tape for our church kind of changed the trajectory of my life in that sense because that was what made those first few songs public. It wasn't. In t- it wasn't the intended result. It just happened. Awesome. So just you, happened. You responded to God's. So, and I had felt, and I felt in back in my YWAM years. I remember even before I joined YWAM, you know, that I was remember fasting and praying, saying, "Lord, show me what is what is my purpose? Like, what what have I been uniquely made to do?" You know, and and I felt like directed to. Um, Psalm 105, 1 and 2, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. And I knew there was something about nations and about singing 
to God, that it was meant to be intimate, that it was meant to be this exchange between the created and the creator, the son and the father, the this it was it was a relational music, but it it was spiritual, you know, that I wasn't called to the world of, of pop music. And even though I love a lot of mainstream folk and pop and I mean that is you know the whatever not mindless pop I like thoughtful pop music but um, yeah but that was my calling yeah. awesome uh, in the late 1990s you came to London mm-hmm. um, and began training other worship leaders uh, across the UK and Ireland um, did you always have a passion to, to teach others how to lead worship um, how did that manifest itself how did that come about and why London as well yeah well I think I think I'm I'm the son of educators okay my mom was a teacher my dad is a teacher um and and now I'm a professor at a college uh which only started about three years ago my my role but so I think of I I tried to run from my kind of initially from my education call (laughs) the DNA in me so I think that comes from my family, it also comes from an understanding that at the heart of the kingdom, whatever we receive, we give away, and that that at the heart of the kingdom is multiplication. So I've always, well, the way I describe it now, and even what I do now, as I describe it, it's like riding a bicycle, that with one foot, with one pedal, I do, and with the other, I mentor and train, and I have to do both to be healthy. Mm-hmm. I can't just do quote-unquote my ministry I have to help other people do what their calling is and because I found such a life and such freedom in songwriting and being creative in in worshiping in in recording and artistry and all of that I I have I've made it my one of my life's goals is to excel and focus on doing that for other making a way for other people um and i i think that's that's i I, you know what's weird thing is too with songwriting training for example because i do songwriting workshops in different parts of the world i wrote the first batch of songs right that that became known and almost immediately i was asked would you come and teach our young songwriters and our worship leaders how to write songs and I went but I well what do you mean I never went to school for that I never went to college to learn composition uh okay sure I've learned a couple of things and then I would go okay and then I'd go and I'd scramble and I'd buy these books on songwriting and the craft and all the tools and skills involved and I go Oh, that makes sense. Oh, no, don't do... Oh, that doesn't work like that for me. And I would voraciously read stuff, and then I would turn around as quickly as I'd learned it, and I'd pass it on to other people. And then that just hasn't stopped. You remind me of 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Um, I start at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And that was obviously passing on the word, but in terms of what you're talking about there is what you've been given, the grace of Christ, given the, the gifts that you've given, yeah. and with your background, uh, parents in education, yeah. um, you're doing that for others. And yeah. I'm sure that, you know, 
so you have, in a sense, spiritual grandchildren, but who are leading worship and then, then encouraging others to get yeah. to know God through that. Yeah. So that must be a wonderful thing to know that. It's, it's incredible. And I, you know, my time in London came out of great heartbreak and collapse. We had tried to launch a musical called Father's House. It, 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 it started going really well and very successful in some community theater runs. And so we were encouraged, take it professional, tour it. We invested over a million dollars in it, and it went and collapsed. We lost everything. We lost our house. We lost, you know, we were homeless with five young children. And so we got in a caravan, and, um, and we were just driving around trying to discern what to do next. And John Wimber, we went to California after that trip, and John Wimber said... I understand that the, the vineyard churches in the UK and Ireland are looking for somebody to mentor and train their, their worship leaders, and they're already singing a lot of your songs. You know, maybe it would be a fit for you. Because I had kind of done this, this musical thing for a couple of years and put my other stuff kind of on hold and took it as far as it could go and then it collapsed. So they, they offered me a job over over in the UK, and so I I, I we boarded, you know, and, uh, playing with five young children and we came here to check it out and they they after meeting each other said yeah I feel like this is the Lord and and I've did everything I could for two years to train and mentor the young worship leaders who were in the vineyard at that time included people like Brenton Brown who wrote Everlasting God and Catherine Scott who wrote Hungry and Michael Fry who wrote Be the Center and different people and those songs have gone on to be sung all over the world. And it's, I tell you, you know, there's times, not that long ago, I was somewhere, I walked into this building and there was a bunch of young people gathered around a piano singing, you know, hungry I come to. And I just almost started tearing up. And I, because I remember, quote unquote, discovering Catherine when nobody knew her and looking at her and going, you have something special. I want to encourage you. I want to help you. And now, you know, and now Catherine and Brenton are being faithful in their callings and they're mentoring and training up other people. And it's just, it's just an awesome thing. It is an awesome thing. Um, your music has reached literally across the globe and touched millions of lives. Um, why do you think that is? There'll be a lot of, there'll be a lot of people who... who write songs, write Christian songs, but, but they won't have seen the impact that God has um, through you. Why, why do you think it is that God has taken what you've done and it's reached so many people? Um, well, first part of my answer will be I have no clue other than God puts his hand on certain things and it's definitely not from self-effort. I mean, when I write a song or when I do something, I do my best. Mm. But it, there's no amount of doing your best that can cause multiplication or cause somebody in another nation to want to sing your song. That, you know. So, so then I would go into the second thing. Obviously, I was writing and singing about some things that people went, oh, we needed to say this to God. Or this resonates as true in a way that we can access. You know, when it says in John 4, 
The true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. This truth word, I mean, we could we could spend hours talking about this expression. What does it mean in spirit and truth? And in spirit, for me, is at its simplest that it's God breathed, that it's God initiated, that God awakens it. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's true. God awakened it in me when I was sixteen. He, he, he his spirit visited me and he awakened me. And but because I had the roots of being Mennonite brethren and very strong um, in a respect for scripture and respect for character. It wasn't like I got awakened, but I didn't like go off on these crazy kind of ephemeral, I don't know what, like, like, like spiritual ecstatic tangents. I was very much into the scripture still. Right. And so this resonating of truth, which to me is God truth, God revelation, but it's also our truth. And one of the meanings of the word truth, apparently, that the scholars tell us, this aletheia, this this truth, this word, is is it's about reality as opposed to illusion, and it's about full disclosure. So it's like God in Jesus came full of grace and truth, full of grace and full disclosure. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus, Amen. right? Okay, and then it's this 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 John four exchange is happening with this woman at the well, who is a complete moral and quote unquote theological failure. But through this conversation to Jesus, who she is is being disclosed and not judged, and she is welcome. She's one of the worshippers God is seeking, right? You can come as you are, which is why I wrote in Come Now's Time to Worship, Come Just As You Are. Because when I wrote that song uh, on the streets of London, I was I was at one of my lowest points in my life, right? We had failed with this musical project on the verge of bankruptcy, had been homeless, and we were offered this new job. And I, and I, and I had done all of that in response to what I felt like a God-breathed, initiated call and idea. So I'm like, God? Like... And I remember this is the third big moment of electricity in my life when I was walking the streets of London and all of a sudden the electrical current was there and it was, come, now is the time to worship. And then it was gone and then it came again, come. And I'm like, now? You know, like now? I don't even, I, I'm barely hanging on to my faith because I did this thing in response to your call and it collapsed. We lost everything. Our son has a condition called Fragile X Syndrome that he'll never really speak. He'll be, require care for the rest of his life. Um, we're like talk about. We were walking with a major limp. We were we were broken hearted. We were broken, broken hearted. <laughs> and um, and now come now. Now is the time to you know. So that so that yeah. So. So then I think those kinds of things, the the truth that's embedded in those songs, both God truth but also our truth, I think that resonated with people and I think it touched people. Because I think, and I've always tried to put in my songs an honest also. I include songs of lament. I include moments in my songs where I reveal my my struggle, my, my, my questions, you know. Um, and I think some of that's resonated with people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
Um, you are a husband to Joyce and the father of six children. We've been talking about um, one of them. Um, how has being, um, being a family man and a dad um, to your kids influenced your songwriting? It's influenced almost everything. I mean, you know, first of all, marriage is God's one of God's key ways of of in in this in this covenantal relationship where you learn to give, to receive, to serve, to surrender your own individualism. You know, it's a way of knocking some of those selfish corners off of us. And yet it's an, also an incredible gift and incredible delight, right? And so, and I, I, so, and I've, and I've, and I've also sung a lot about faithfulness and about God's faithfulness and God is the faithful one. And, and to me, that character of God then is, is, is marking those of us who are trying to worship in spirit and in truth. And so that, that human covenantal relationship plays into it. Um, you know, being a father, six, four daughters, two sons, three of whom are special needs and will require lifelong care has marked me in a way that, um, has, has again probably makes me include certain things in my songs like come just as you are or my song your faithfulness i don't know what this day will bring will it be disappointing or filled with long for things you know i don't know what tomorrow holds but i know i can trust your faithfulness in other words life is or and you shine i wrote in this world we will have trouble but you have overcome the world. You shine brighter than the brightest star. Um, you know, we are, you know, I know some preachers speak as if if you trust in Jesus, it's kind of like your life will be without pain and without trouble and you will have unending prosperity. And that's not the Jesus that I see in the scriptures or the message I see in all of scripture. Of course God wants good for us. And of course, he actually wants us to prosper and be our provision. But, but we can make all of the God-following choices we want, one after another, and it's not going to protect us from pain and suffering because we live in a broken and fallen world. Um, and so, of course, Jesus is our ultimate example of that. Yeah. You know, and if we're followers of Jesus, then yeah. you know, what did Jesus do? What did yeah. he model for us to follow? Yeah. And that was a, a path of, of ridicule and um, yeah. and ultimate suffering. Yeah. And so he's not someone that is unaware of the suffering that we may be going through. So, um, you know, that verse that talks about those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Yeah. They're, 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 yeah. So, so. Yeah. And I have, I mean, I'm, I'm about to release uh, my first new album in seven years. Uh, it's called Grateful. It's about gratitude after a long, hard winter. <laughs> But I have um, a couple of songs about that. One is called Scars in His Hands. Mm-hmm. You know, my king has got scars on his hands. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that, that Jesus in his resurrected body still has scars speaks of a theology of, and a reality of suffering and that he took those scars with him in his ascension you know, to say, I'm taking almost like the suffering of humanity with me and I'm enfolding it into the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got another song 
um, called Man of Sorrows, um, Jesus Man of Sorrows, and it's based on Isaiah 53. And, you know, these are things at times in our culture that, especially in the modern worship culture, where it's about shiny performance and presenting ourselves as completely together that I just I, I, I just don't really see in Jesus. I see much more a man of mm. of of walking with the broken and 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 lifting up the broken. And yeah, it's not in wallowing in our brokenness, but saying this is part of the human condition and it's part of our journey. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about the sheer poets. Oh, latest wow. creative music project. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the Sheer Poets has been part of really saving uh, me in the last six, seven years because I I went through a church kind of blow up in 2010 that was so painful. I lost my words. I stopped writing songs, and I I genuinely thought I was done. And uh, about a year, year and a half into it, my brother's an Anglican priest, and he gave me a gift, a book called the Paraclete Psalter. It's a way of praying through the Psalms every month in a, in a rhythm, in a pattern. And so I started reading the Psalms, and I started really, wait a minute, you know, I always knew this, but there's so many Psalms for the brokenhearted, so many songs, Psalms for the confused, which I was, <laughs> disoriented. And, and Brueggemann says this, there are psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. <laughs> and I was living in the world of disorientation, mm-hmm. and I needed to be able to be say, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? And it be biblical and scriptural, and yet affirming of my own struggles. So I was, I was you know, and then I, I, I realized, well, I can't just read the psalms, I have to <laughs> sing them. <laughs> And so I started singing them just alone in my bedroom, kind of like back to the very beginning of when I started as a teenager, just singing. Except now, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s and I've experienced some very hard things and the ongoing challenge of special needs kids and the struggles of ministry and being misunderstood. And so I started singing them. And then I have three other really good friends, Callum Reese, Teresa Trask, Brian Thiessen, who were also, for different reasons, being drawn to the Psalms and going through their own journeys of orientation, disorientation, you know, reorientation. And Teresa runs a ministry for women in addiction recovery. And these women need some of the honesty in what the Psalms say. And Brian Thiessen was studying kind of the Jewish roots of Christianity and, and... and just really believing that there was something there that we were missing. And, and Brian is also very, very, um, he's a very skilled guitar player, musician, and he was getting a point of frustration with a lot of modern worship music that's just, you know, three chords and almost dumbed down. And so all of a sudden we go, wait a minute, what if we start singing the Psalms and what if we don't censor out the hard bits? What if we sing them, respect the original songwriters, I've lost my words. Let's let the songs be our words, but let's create new musical settings that are mother tongue for us. And so we started. And uh, we are now um, into our third album. We're recording volume three, and we're doing t- in chunks of ten in sequence. And um, a-, a lot of people don't get it until they actually watch and hear us live, play them, and they go, oh my goodness, now I get it. Like the force of the, the, the roller coaster ride 
of, of praise, um, anger, sadness, uh, confusion, um, thankfulness, and, 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 and just this, 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 it, like the Psalms aren't linear. They're not like neat and tidy. Like they're just emotional. As I say, some people complain, you know, that all that modern worship music is too emotional. I say, no, 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 it's not nearly emotional enough. <laughs> like, we're flatline culture. We just want to experience joy and happiness, and we're not willing to experience grief and sadness. But if you numb grief and sadness and deny it and pretend it's not there, you can't experience real joy. So lament is the pathway to real joy, biblically. Our culture says, no, we'll deny it pretend it doesn't exist, or we'll distract. We'll distract ourselves with endless entertainment and amusement and not deal with our pain. So the Psalms has brought me back to life as a songwriter. I didn't have to write the words, thank goodness. I ha we had to work with paraphrasing them to make the musical because we're trying to take ancient Hebrew poetry and prayer and render it as sung English poetry and prayer. And so we work with some Hebrew scholars to do that. My wife's sister is a Hebrew scholar. There's other um, scholars that we've worked with, and we're 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 loving the journey. And um, as I, I'm just writing the credits and the thank yous for my new album, new Brian Dirksen album, which comes out this fall. And um, I was just thanking, I was just writing my note to the poet, saying, "I want to thank you for because I wouldn't even be writing my own songs if you hadn't stuck with me in my darkest time." And then we started writing these scriptural songs together and it's so now I'm like I'm hooked you know we're, we're three volumes in now I don't know how long we're going to go I always said let's let's do the first book and and book one in the Psalms according to scholars is Psalm 1 to 42 then I said and then we'll reevaluate and I said I bet you by the time we go from 1 to 42 we'll have covered just a huge uh section of all different types of psalms and emotions and then we'll see what we do see next fantastic awesome um <clears throat> i want to um you've mentioned this a lot in in our conversation um about the the bible and the importance of the word of god to you uh obviously it's a ministry our heart is to um help people get into the bible and you, you uh, have mentioned the Bible a lot. So, just simple: how important is the, is the Word of God to you um, in your life, and why is that? Hmm. It's 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 like the taproot. It's like that deep root underneath that sustains and anchors everything. Um, you know, it's like I have a relationship with Jesus and with the Father and the Holy Spirit but they are revealed to me through the scripture. And I'm rooted in knowing if I'm sensing something, it's that, it's that place of, of plumb line or whatever word you want to use where you go back to and you check and you go, does this line up with? And so it's this interesting thing where, because I'm a creative person, like so I'm writing new original songs and whatever, but, but so some of them, and I, but I keep checking back. Is this true to the spirit of the scripture? And then I'll go back to the scripture and literally find it just leaps to life. And I go, I, okay, now I want to sing exactly that. I could never say it better than that, right? 
And I, and I teach young people, you know, I, I, I teach songwriting and worship leadership, and one of the things, I, one of my key assignments for young songwriters is teaching them how to write scripture songs so that they remember scripture, because the things that we say we forget, but the things we sing, we go into our backup hard drive, They, which is why the ancient Hebrews would learn Torah by chanting, because when you chant, when you sing, um it goes into your backup hard drive and you can remember it where you can't remember the spoken word as in the same way. So, yeah, it's it's hugely important to me. Awesome. Um, Do you have a favorite um, book of the Bible or a favorite character? (laughs) Well, it would have to be the Psalms because it's the song book in the Bible and my favorite character is David, um, flawed as he was. Um... You know, the fact that he was the least in his family and chosen by God to do something very special. Um, yeah, in fact, I was just with an author, Mark Buchanan, who wrote books like Your God is Too Safe, The Rest of God, very, very respected Christian author. And he's working on a David novel. And so we're, we're kind of dreaming together about doing a David kind of tour where he tells the David story in a fresh way and I sing the songs of David. So, yeah, I, you know, because I, I remember the first time I realized it was David about 10 years ago, an interviewer asked me if you could meet one character in the Bible, you know, and sit down and have a personal conversation, who would it be? And I just, without hesitation, I said, David. There's no, there's no question. I, I, I know the right answer is Jesus. Yeah, I was going to say. And, um, <laughs> uh, obviously, that to me is more like, it's not almost like a conversation. It's falling at his feet, at his nail-scarred feet and worshiping and thanking him for redemption and for salvation, that he's one for every tribe, language, and tongue, and people. But David, I don't worship David but I, won't, I, I know David from his songbook, and I want to have a conversation with him. <laughs> um, do you, is there a verse, is there a particular verse, um, that um, a, a life verse or favorite Bible verse that you may have? I know different people have different verses. Um, I, I keep telling people about um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, which is very precious to me. Um, but um, would you have a favorite verse or... Well, it changes in yeah. seasons. I think right now, because we've been recording um, volume three uh, of the Sheer Poets, um, Psalm 21 to 30, and this verse in Psalm 23, you prepare a table for, before me in the presence of my enemies, has become one of the most important. This thing of this a table, hospitality, provision, love, family, sitting on level ground together, but in the presence of still struggle and and we're not we're not in paradise. But we're we and we don't experience perfection, but we experience provision. You know, the sense of the now and the not yet. I don't know. To me, I just keep on coming back to this image of this table. And so that maybe that's just the season where I just need to remember that because life isn't completely worked out for us. You know, we're in a season of some ongoing challenges with with our sons. um, And I need to know. 
I need to know that the Lord is my shepherd mm. and that he goes ahead of me. And then, but then when I work with the broken and, and people who even come from, you know, way more challenges than I do, I need to also, I can look at them and go, well, the Lord is your shepherd. And if you follow him, he's going to set a table for you. I don't know exactly how he's going to do it. And if I'm called to be a part of it in some small way, I'll be faithful. But the Lord is going to set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And you're going to know some some shalom and some peace that is not explainable by your circumstances. So life is hard, and you can express your pain. You can say, how long, O Lord? But like Psalm 13 starts with, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me? How long, O Lord? Will you look the other way? But it ends with, but I trust. And, and, and life is a journey of trust. So for me, that's... I don't know, I, and, and every time I sing these ancient psalms, I, I, it's hard not to sing them without weeping. Uh, and the thought that for 3,000 years people have prayed these words, they've sung these words, they've, they've lived by these words. Um, as we come to an end, I just um, there may be people listening to this who are in that very tough place. Um, maybe they are angry with God, maybe they're... Uh, um, going through some very challenging and tough circumstances what words of encouragement from your experience might you Mm. give to them uh, with what you've gone through, what you know about the Lord uh, to in a sense lift them up well I think I would call them to have courage to express what they really feel and the Psalms give us expression to express even our anger to God you know Give him, reveal, be, you know, fully disclose truthfully who you really are to God. The Psalms give us permission to do that. So that would be my encouragement to disclose yourself to God, to find a safe place to do that in private and with other people. We're not meant to walk this journey alone. And if you're a part of a a church or fellowship that doesn't allow you to do that, you need to find a safe place with some people where you can disclose your pain so that you can express it and so that the healing process can begin. As my sister-in-law, Hebrew scholar, has said, you know, weeping may be wordless, but it's never voiceless. And the, the weeping, the, 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 the tears we cry, the, the, the pain we express is always the first step in healing. Whereas we live in a culture that, you know, den- deny, suppress, pretend, and then try and get better. So I think the biblical call to us is no, express it and then find community and fellowship where you can do that together and then you can walk through to healing to to and you're going to have some scars you're going to have some some things where it's not going to your life isn't perfect this isn't this isn't a journey about seeking perfection it's a journey of god providing for us and and he provides for us sometimes through the people that we're in community with. And so, yeah. I'm going to ask you, um, by way of finishing, to read Psalm 23. 
Um, sure. And then um, I will. We will then. I've got. I've got it here. Um, yeah. And then uh, we'll we'll close. So. Yeah. Um, here we go. Wow. Just looking at these words as I'm about to read them. And, 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 and I've been singing them, so of course I have a melody going off in my head that people, you know, it'll, it's a few months till they'll actually hear the Sheer Poets, Volume 3, but who knows when they listen to this. Maybe by then it'll be out. Okay, here we go. Thank you for your word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness or justice for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Brian, it has been a great pleasure to have this time with you to hear of your journey and um, thank you for the songs that you write that obviously the Lord prompts you to write and the blessing it's been in I know my own life and and my wife's life and I know countless others and I just pray that God uses what you're doing now uh, to continue to bless people around the world so thank Thank you you so much thank you so much Nigel you have been listening to the Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Preset Min UK.